Gaggle podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic in AZ Central, and I'm at our Arizona Capitol Bureau. Joining me this week are... Mary Jo Pitzel, state government reporter. Ron Hansen, I cover the Arizona congressional delegation. Yvonne Winget Sanchez, I cover the governor's office and state politics. This week on The Gaggle, President Trump wants to increase spending on bridges and highways, and Governor Ducey wants to get his hands on some of the money, and more election-related trouble for the Secretaries of State's office. But we start with another Democrat joining the race for governor. Yvonne, it's Steve Farley. Tell us who he is. Steve Farley is a longtime Democrat from Tucson who has long been eyeing a run for governor. He's been uh, very vocal over the past couple of years, uh, really since the beginning of Ducey's tenure, about the governor's agenda, tax cuts, education, funding, etc. Um, he essentially is calling the governor's policies um, harmful to the state of Arizona, and he says he has a, a, a better vision for the state. Uh, before he can get to that vision, though, he's going to have to uh, win a challenge against David Garcia, the other high-profile Democrat in the race. Before we get to that part of it, uh, Mary Jo, how would you describe him as a lawmaker? What, what, is he, what is he known for? What kind of negotiator? Or well, Steve Farley um, has worked hard to... He loves being bipartisan. He was just on fire after the Medicaid expansion vote in 2013, where Republicans and Democrats joined together to pass Medicaid expansion. And he lo- every session since, he's been looking for people that he can work with in a bipartisan way, which I think we will hear a lot about on the campaign trail. He um, is a passionate about transportation issues. Um, Even before he came into the legislature, he championed the creation of the Tucson streetcar for people who have been to uh, downtown Tucson. He also um, is going to bring to his campaign an issue he's crusaded on in the House and the Senate, which is closing tax loopholes. He loves to report, you know, I think it's what now 12 or 13 billion dollars. I think he's using the 13 billion dollar figure. Yeah, given away because of various tax exemptions that the legislature's approved over time. And he's saying, you know, you start to close some of those up and you get more revenue and shoot, we could even reduce the sales tax. Mostly what he is talking about here um, are sales tax um, loopholes or exemptions. That's some of his messaging. He does set up, though, like you said, Yvonne, a Democratic primary against David Garcia. Uh, The Democrats didn't have a primary when uh, Fred Duval ran against uh, Governor Doug Ducey. What do you think this means for the Democrats? Does this mean they realize that that was an error? There's some in the party who think that that was an error and that by the time Duval got to the general with the governor, he was virtually an unknown. His name had not been out in the press and he wasn't thoroughly vetted. Uh, So in Farley's mind, this will raise his profile. This will put the race at the forefront of uh, the voters' minds. Uh, He and Garcia both view this as an 18-month campaign uh, and he thinks that this will really give him an opportunity um, to define himself and for the party to to really vet and get to know their candidates before um, they face off against, one of them faces off against Ducey. 
And, you know, David Garcia's campaign really didn't have much to say about Farley's entry into the race. They, they said he will bring an interesting perspective. And for his part, Farley really didn't want to talk much about David Garcia. He said this will be a race between him and uh, the governor, and, and Governor Ducey is who he's going to focus his target on. The thinking here is that some competition's good, and the Democrats haven't had that. And as Yvonne was saying, it makes you sharper. It allows you to sort of, you know, hone down your talking points and what your message really is. So, you know, let them duke it out and, you know, may the best man win. The question, though, also becomes uh, how much money are these guys going to spend on this primary race? And this is a race that certainly will need a lot of Resources, even if dark money doesn't play, we we didn't see dark money during 2016, and that was a big uh, reason why Governor Ducey won. I mean, the outside groups were really able to raise his profile in the wake of uh, an investigation into APS, and now uh, this other investigation into Axiom and former Corporation Commissioner Gary Pierce and others. It's unclear whether or not um, these dark money forces will will play in the next. Uh, election. So, but these guys nonetheless are going to need a lot of money. Another point I think it's worth making is that uh, Farley is a sitting senator, so he will be back in January in the legislature. He has an automatic uh, platform from which to speak. He already speaks a lot in floor speeches, whereas Garcia is going to have to look for opportunities to get his voice and his message out. Yeah, you know, in my uh, observations on the, at the legislature, Farley is one of the more vocal members of the Democratic caucus, period, um, in both the House and the Senate. He's he's got a quite large profile. Uh, he seems to be well-versed in the issues and has been sort of uh, out there in a very public way for the party uh, on whatever issue is in front of them at the moment. And so, yeah, I think that his perch in the Senate will help keep him, um, you know, in the the spotlight in a way that will sustain him beyond any kind of contributions or any efforts uh, to try and earn media coverage in that campaign moving forward. Uh, it, and it also sort of allows voters to maybe project and see, is this what they would like to see style-wise from a governor next time? I think one thing I'll be watching for in that primary is uh, clearly Garcia's issue is education. I think Farley... Largely, that will be one of his main issues. But, I mean, Garcia, that is the issue. And it'll be interesting to see how they try to draw distinctions, how they're able to use that message, and how it resonates or doesn't with, with the primary voters, with the, their base. Yeah, and I think already, you know, uh, David Garcia unveiled um, a proposal to for free college tuition. And, I mean, there are many within the party who just thought that was just such a PR stunt. He went all Bernie on him. And, you know, I think Farley will be a much more moderate voice in this race. And he's maybe a little bit more realistic about what the state can afford and, and can't. Hi, this is Hannah Gaber, a video and multimedia journalist with the Arizona Republic. For more than 126 years, The Republic and azcentral.com have been a trusted source of news and information for Arizona and the nation. Please show your support for quality journalism by becoming a subscriber today. And thanks. Turning now to the mechanics of, of the election system, 
uh, Arizona Secretary of State Michelle Reagan's had kind of some rough patches running that system. And uh, another thing's cropped up this month. Mary Jo, what is that? This uh, revolves around a system that's called eQual. It's an online system where candidates can get signatures on their nomination petitions electronically. It's a great convenience. You just have your supporters go in, log into the Secretary of State's website, and find the petition for candidate X and sign it. It's linked to the voter registration database, so there's an electronic signature, and they know you're a registered voter. This has been working for about five years. Then last year, the legislature, in its wisdom, said, let's expand this beyond the legislative and state candidates that get to enjoy this. And we'll do this for all local candidates, you know, city and county, even precinct committeemen. And we want this up and running by January 1st. And the Secretary of State's website um, on Monday was promising that they would have this up by June 30th. Why the six-month delay? They say they basically were handed an unfunded mandate from the legislature. It's taking a lot of mapping, GIS work to add all these precincts. There's about 1,500 in the state, all the city and county jurisdictions, and they got to take down the whole system while they're working on this, which means candidates are not able to have the ease of using electronic signatures. Now, Helen Purcell, the uh, county recorder, former county recorder, really took some heat for the voting centers that they ran during the presidential primary here. And Michelle Reagan took some heat for like the pamphlets not getting to all the voters during the elections last year. Is there any sense that this is making her bid for re-election any more difficult? Um, I think, yes, I think so. I mean, you had Katie Hobbs, who's um, so far the only Democrat in the race for secretary of state, um, sort of raised the alarm bell on this and sent out a fundraising letter saying, hey, wait, first they said this was going to be up in March, and then they said May, and now they're saying June. Um, So that's bringing more attention to this. And it's just the latest in a series of problems that the Secretary of State's office has had with basically technology-related issues. I mean, even the pamphlet was a was a problem with instructions not being given properly or supposedly their vendor didn't have the right instructions on getting the pamphlet out. They um, are behind schedule on a contract for a new voter registration database, and they're in a tussle with the county recorders on how to um, how that should be fashioned. And she's way behind on her uh, much-touted See the Money campaign finance website, which she says will be up by the end of the year or early January, or else it's not worth Did she say which year? (laughs) And I think with this, I mean, unless it's really affecting voters... Right. This is a, this is a, a candidate issue. This is not a voter issue, but right. This is not right. long lines right. for the presidential preference election. I think that will depend on how much coverage happens, how much her opponents, she does have a Republican uh, primary opponent in Senator Steve Montenegro, how much they raise that kind of issue. So uh, st- staying with the Secretary of State's office and some of the voting issues there, Virginia Senator Mark Warner said this week that the Russian attacks on the election systems in states uh, around the country were broader and targeted more states than than they had previously known. We know Arizona was a target at one point. Mary Jo, these uh, hacks involved uh, a software company in Florida that uh, produces software actually used in ballot counting machines, and then also voter registration systems. That was the case here in Arizona. So did we learn anything more from this uh, intelligence that came out this week? Um, as pertains to Arizona, I think the immediate lesson is, no, we haven't learned that there's any impact on Arizona. 
The hack that happened with Arizona's system was last June. The Intercept was reporting that um, what they're finding from this NSA document uh, were things happening in late October of 2016. What happened in Arizona in June of last year, uh, apparently there was an attempt to get into a Gila County recorder's office workers' uh, email that they, the login that they would use to access the statewide voter registration database. And that database is maintained by a contractor called ES&S, not the Florida firm that was mentioned uh, in the Intercept article. Is is there any sense what they would have done with that? Was that to steal people's identity? Because you couldn't really cast votes for them by hacking that Right, I suppose you could could steal someone's identity. You could cancel their voter registration. You could switch it around, I suppose, if you could actually get into the database. But this was just the ability to access the system. And has the state uh, hardened its security in response to that? They say they have. We, frankly, have not done a check to see what exactly that entailed. Uh, The current uh, system um, is going to keep running for another two years. They're extending the contract. And I have not looked at the terms of that to see if it includes more security. Hi, this is Hannah Gaber, video and multimedia journalist with the Arizona Republic. We work hard every day to be your trusted news source, but we also encourage you to read news from many sources and to be open to ideas you may not agree with. By being informed, you'll be able to spot and fight fake news and do your part to encourage a healthy dialogue in your community. Thank you for listening. So Governor Doug Ducey will be at the White House this week to meet with President Trump. We're talking about infrastructure spending, and what is it, Ron Hansen, that uh, Governor Ducey would like? Money. <laughs> Let's start with that. The White House wants to do uh, an infrastructure plan. It's been fairly minimally sketched out to this point, so everybody knows that there's something that's on the wish list. We don't really have a good idea of how much money is truly in play. Uh, we've heard the $1 trillion figure, but it seems like it's more about $200 billion that would actually be coming from the White House. You then would have private interests that would need to step up and, and sort of help make these projects happen. And given their regional interests or locations and such, it's not clear how much would be you know doable um, in the near term. I mean, frankly, there's just a lot of questions about what would, what would meet the bar and, and how soon could it progress. What we do know is that there are a, a handful of projects that are relatively advanced in terms of their planning. Their price tag is relatively well known. Uh, we don't say that word. Uh, wasn't that, that an Obama era? Yeah, that, word? That's an Obama word. Oh, we don't yeah. say that. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it, these are projects. Tremendous. That are, there you go. These are bigly uh, wonderful projects that will help make the uh, make America great again. These are projects like Interstate Eleven uh, that. We don't that fictitious, fictitious roadway between Phoenix and Las Vegas. Yeah, it's still and, the, and believe me in Las Vegas. They want that Gambler's Express open and free flowing, friend. <laughs> well, the question would be whether the money for that that goes to Vegas stays in Vegas or yeah, it comes it down to Phoenix. So we've got projects like that. The Interstate 11 project, if that were to be a, a priority, would it 
be mainly in Nevada? Would it mainly be in Arizona? Would it be evenly divided? We, these are projects that we just don't have any specifics on right now. So I-11, what, what, what else is on that list? Well, it, you would also have uh, continued work on Interstate 10, the widening of, of that existing route, uh, especially in southern Arizona, the Tucson area. Um, there would be also small projects, things like potentially uh, an overpass in Maricopa that would be uh, able to you know, have cars bypass train tracks right now. The idea on that one is it's a relatively rapidly growing area that is, you know, facing significant increase in train traffic as well. So this is a fairly, you know, pricey little project for that area. This is a way for the for this thing to jump the line and, and move quickly. Does the governor have a priority on his list for these kind of projects? The governor sent a list of about a dozen or so projects over to the White House. So he prioritized those projects and kind of the timing that uh, would have been about a couple of months ago. The other kind of smaller ball things that he asked for were was money to cover um, open wells. Those can be dangerous, especially for children. Uh, money to uh, resolve issues uh, at a, I think, at sewer line down in Nogales, Arizona, right there on the, the border with our sister city of Mexico. So we'll see how that one goes over with the Trump administration. But um, he did send over that list. It seems like insult to injury. We're going to... Build a wall and pipe sewer <laughs> in the vicinity. So, well, and we still haven't gotten confirmation from the White House about whether or not President Trump will actually be at this meeting. Um, they haven't responded to let us know uh, who actually will be there. Um, but we do know that Ducey was scheduled to meet with other governors, some federal officials and mayors from across the country. So on most days, Diane Douglas is a school superintendent for the state. But today that is not the case. She is what, Mary Jo? She is the governor of Arizona. The uh, school superintendent is fourth in line of succession for the governor. So we have Ducey on his way to D.C. We have Secretary of State Michelle Reagan um, in France on a vacation. We have Attorney General Brinovich. I'm not quite sure where he is. And uh, DeWitt, we got an out-of-state notification (laughs) by biggest bets that he's back in D.C. again. The state treasurer is out, and that leaves Diane Douglas. You know, if, if if she were out of, out of the state, I guess it would be the state mine inspector who would be <laughs> in charge of the state. Then after that, it's the janitor over at the Capitol. For our final segment, Yvonne, what are you watching for this week? I am watching the anti-voucher group. They are collecting tens of thousands of signatures. Uh, they've had offers by professional campaign signatures to signature gathers to help them out. They have rebuffed those efforts in hopes that they can truly keep this a, a grassroots movement. And I think we're going to see some big numbers um, announced How many in the coming weeks. To qualify? I think they need about 75,000, but they're hoping for about a hundred and in excess of 120,000 or so. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, based on some communications that I've seen from the attorney general's office from some uh, pro voucher types, I think we might see some sort of tussle uh, between the anti and pro voucher folks over the way some of these signatures might have been gathered. Oh, be still my heart. My goodness. <laughs> of course. Ron, you'll be avoiding the Cavaliers games this week, I'm sure. But uh, what will you actually be watching? Uh, yeah, apart from uh, the unwatchable, I will uh, I will turn my attention too, to these. Too uh, soon? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Just a bit. Sorry. It's... Uh, 
<laughs> I, I'm interested in what projects do we see for this? Uh, how much clarity do we get? This is, you know, almost like the health care, the tax bills, uh, a lot of the initiatives that the White House has rolled out. We, we have great fanfare around things to come and then not a lot of detail seems like for a while. So we'll see if we get any clarity as to what is actually happening with this infrastructure plan. Mary Jo. I want to know who got the Kofefe license plate from the MVD. Ah, mystery. I like that. Call us if you are the at person. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. Mary Jo at at Mary J Pitzel. Ron at Ronald J Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Yvonne Winget at Yvonne Winget. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Kayla White, Hannah Gaber, and Manny Lozano. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.